Hello everyone, what's up? It's Avital reporting for Judy in Ungrounded America. Object of fascination and disparagement, America is going through uh, maybe a return or repeat of dis identification with itself or de-idealization. Um, and one wants to consider what that might be, what it might be to be idealized. Believe me, I know, <laughs> suffer from that in terms of what Melanie Klein instructs us to consider when things, people, causes, structures, infrastructures, countries undergo idealization, but certainly when it uh, props up on the good breast, suddenly flipped into the bad breast or bad object. What happens with idealization is that a manic defense is put up against, um, well, against hostility that's trying to be tamed or or somehow quiet it down. So when you see an object or a person being idealized, you need to think what that kind of action is, what it's protecting, what it's harming, and what it implies about the one who's doing the idealizing. Because um, for Melanie Klein, the subject, the baby subject, the infant subject who uh, returns at a certain level of so-called adulthood, which must be put in question all the time, according to Malraux and Lyotard, that infant part or split off part maybe, that comes back, keeps on um, seeking a return or even retribution is aware of its capacity to injure, pollute, and do harm. And so in order to protect and preserve the good breast or a relation to a good object and most hopefully an interjected good object or good breast, that little subject being needs to defend against its capacity to um, rev up the aggression and the death and destructive drive that it um, focuses on anything or anyone that could be seen to be doing it some good. Then it sabotages and relinquishes a relation to what is good. So that has to stop um, the subject in its tracks and it tries again and tries to repair um, its destructive attack on what is good. 
And um, I really didn't mean to say that America is good, but it has been subjected to idealization, to a land of promise, that kind of rhetoric, um, which propped it up also as something that allowed you to dream. We've considered dreaming and dream streaming and what it can do to also uh, unlock and unhinge unconscious um, attack modes. So let me consider with you that um, America is undergoing some de-idealization and that might not be a bad thing at all, except that idealization may have indicated that something was already wrong. Why do we need to idealize? In some ways, according to some of Freud's insights and even also Nietzsche's spitfire assertions, when you need to idealize, you're covering up something that is um, nasty, dirty, untoward. So it's already a symptom of sorts to look out for. Now, um, this de-idealization or the kind of um, disrepair and disparagement to which America is subject, and in many cases, rightly so, uh, I mean, what's up with this unprecedented yet entirely recognizable um, repertoire of violence and inequity and so on and so forth. Of course, it may not be unprecedented and maybe by projecting stuff on America, <clears throat> Europe gets to work through some of its own defaults or it gets to um, transfer it onto an American barge and send it off to the Hudson River. So listen, it was not fashionable, certainly in the 18th century, but more so in the 20th century for Europeans openly to embrace America and concede the phantasms for which the land became a philosophical poetic reception center. One made the occasional allowances for the importance of Ralph Waldo Emerson. Still, at some level, the European language masters mostly signed on with Rilke's view that America represented, and I quote, translating, an absolute void. As a particular cut of a we the people goes, and if we had time, and maybe I will make time next time, <clears throat> to discuss how Derrida reads the performativity of we the people that was asserted before there was a we the people. So how do you constitute yourself as a people, if not in that kind of declaration of independence, which is as powerful as it is wobbly um, in terms of a rhetoric of Selbstbehauptung or self-assertion. So as a particular cut of a weed the people, 
Americans were stamped as monstrous by Rainer Maria Rilke, even before the so-called ugly American became an identifying feature of the greed-ravaged fellowship. The Austrian poet Nikolaus Lenau added fuel to that fire at Signifier by noting it could not be an accident that America hosted no nightingale in its ornitho-empirical birdscape, a missing element, this nightingale, that amounted to a poetic curse on the land. There would be no ode to a nightingale perching on some opiate drain. Maybe only ravens and lunatics or the screech and craw of a crow, a crow in Jim Crow, maybe swarmed by Hitchcock's menacing attack birds. So it's not as though America as a cultural production studio wasn't attached to birds. It's just that it didn't have the nightingale that traveled to the Paleoarctic and Sub-Saharan desert where it wintered and um, had a wonderful itinerary that excluded the Americas. For a poet, that's an egregious um, um, non appearance that um, will mark us forever. So barren and consumed for the most part by capital, set for the advent only of technological tweets. So we might not have a nightingale population, but we have tweets here in America. America seemed bereft of poetic language incapable of refined sensibility and distant from the crowning song of a nightingale. Tweet, tweet. I would direct you to uh, Pierre Alferi's work on the Rossignol, the nightingale in um, Emmanuel Ocar's anti-ode to the nightingale. So um, we'd like to see our nightingales in their poetic perches and and, and see what they indicate about the poetic usage of language. <clears throat> so listen, without starting a rumble, let me just point out that the gauntlet was thrown down over the fate of poetry, fostering an argument born by an early European blindness to our American capacity for flourishing in the vacancy of a wasteland, if waste be the way to flag a startup essence of the American imago. Anyway, excuse me. Let me betray but one flicker of partisan poetics, namely, since when do poets feed off plenitude or indulge an opiate drawn from historical comfort zones or avert their gaze from landfill or Patterson, New Jersey. 
poetic gang wars notwithstanding, America was an object of ambivalent fascination by the time Derrida reappropriated in and along his way via Heidegger and the fields of German poeticity. What America in quotation marks could mean for the ends of philosophy, booking his tours with careful calibration and an eye for its vulnerabilities. So this is what Derrida was considering. What, what does America as a destination and self-failing destiny, because until recently would Trump or Trump, um, America did not allow itself to be seen as a destiny, even though it had all the makings of revolutionary breakthrough and promise and dream precisely. But it didn't have the, the schick and geschick and schicksal and that kind of self-inflated and bloated sense of a nation state that is not uncommon to great European um, markers, let's say. So America became for a number of hardcore European thinkers, a proving grounds of ambivalent positing. One of the common tropological markers of his day succeeding while falling short to some degree of the Abendland or the West, which um, is where German poets complain of, of its decline and essayists. And this is uh, something that Heidegger addresses in Basaistenken. Uh, what is the obsession with the decline of the West? Well, he should talk. In any case, America involved the a promising zone that would detach from this kind of um, discourse of the decline of the West, which in itself might have seemed less uh, harmful than what America was brewing in some regards. At one point, uh, Derrida saw America constituting a state of and in theory, taking off from his analyses, one begins to fathom a complex state by which theoretical assertion and varied assumptions of powerlessness would be measured, held at times to the rhythm and rhetorical scansion of return that was sometimes fashioned in the form of comeback. So we might want to think about the energy of comeback promoted by and in the American dream and promising activities. Doesn't necessarily fit Derrida's roster of paraconcepts, but could be shown to shape a vision of American acts of promise drawing a frazzled horizon of the American dream to which the nation state has been consistently attached as we're saying here. And it's, it's even a cliche of, of pursuit 
again, if we had time, we would consider the pursuit of happiness. That's very strangely and wonderfully and defeatedly <laughs> promised um, in America. But don't forget that what is promised isn't happiness, but the pursuit itself of happiness, which is a very Kafkan theme because in Kafka, especially the, the, um, the castle, pursuit is very closely allied to persecution and hunting down, but it also is, lays the groundwork for, for libido and libidinal activity and excitement in failing to vanquish or conquer or arrive at a destination that would crown the pursuit and name an accomplishment. So there's something about the pursuit that America programs that we still want to think and consider what it means to guarantee, not only to indicate or suggest or allow for rhetorically uh, um, happiness. I mean, already that would stop us in our tracks to consider how a state can um, promise happiness, but that's not what's promised. What's promised is the pursuit, which is great and which is also um, um, kind of hopeless as well. But there's a certain rhythm, uh, uh, poeticity, uh, a fast track that pursuit seems to indicate. It's be very difficult to consider a slow-mo pursuit. So let us consider all of the implications that we're urged to interpret and read as rhetoricians and, and deconstructive engines. So I was talking about the vision of American acts of promise that draw a frazzled horizon of the American dream to which the nation state has been attached, even as a kind of triumphal regression and a commitment to return that correspond to Derrida's type of questioning, his relentless tracking of the revenant, that which comes back or threatens to do so. So there's something about return and it's broken off points and it's desperate um, self-imposition and insistence that we want to consider in terms of America and the return trips it does and doesn't send itself on with regard to its European shoreline and some of the paternity, paternity suits that are still pending. So among other attributes and theoretical settings, America became a site for consistent review requiring backtracking and a registry of sudden growth spurts involving political pain and instructive blunders, a staggered effort to blend alterities while 
falling behind on a declaration of intention that was from the start compromised. And according to stipulated revolutionary ground rules, contractually breached from the start. This is one of Noam Chomsky's um, consistent arguments that um, the so-called founding fathers already messed up um, with betrayals and innate, innate failures of um, that they allowed to install to be installed in American institutions. So I just want us to consider where we're at, where we're going, and that I'm reporting for duty in a land, a place, a site that um, isn't at all transparent or easy to grasp and is in in the uh, throes of monumental mutation that involves the ambivalent positing of a return or a comeback and the way America um, drums up all sorts of promises of being able to restart and repair even as from the start it has uh, prevented in, in many significant ways, those, um, let's say, healing manias to assert themselves convincingly. So there was something special about American exposures, the power outages built around a space or Erörterung, as we said last time, where democracy ran up a tab on continual testing grounds, especially in the 20th and now 21st centuries, if it was not conceived as the very test site on which its experimental wager is tried. On 9-11, the president said, the country is being tested. On January 6th, the president said, the country is being tested. The second time around, the utterance did not appear to assert that we had passed the test, imposed or mastered a proleptic trial run. So what it means to see itself as being tested in itself uh, is, is complicated, travels according to different itineraries and modalities of assertion. Because sometimes when you say this country is being tested, and you align yourself with theological, biblical, uh, almost boastful observation, that means you've passed the test. We were tested and we passed. That's what George Bush was um, in, a, in essence saying. But when it's repeated on so many levels and in so many contexts, as happened recently with um, Joe Biden, when he said that this country is being tested, he was uh, gripped in the anxiety of not knowing the test results or fearing that being tested could blow off and blow away all sorts of imagined and referential solidities on which this country tries to establish each time anew its footing. 
So um, we would want to consider how countries, institutions, conceptual frameworks, essential critical scaffolding are tested and whether these nation states are themselves the test sites that have been um, entrusted with trying themselves out. In a Nietzschean off-ramp, we'd see to what extent one owes oneself to be tested, to test one's mettle, to test one's capacity, to go through um, repeated fog tests or, or smog tests, uh, depending what kind of engine you're priming and, and polishing and, and keeping clean. So Nietzsche wants you to test yourself and even urges that that is in one of his relaxations of his grip on pessimism and Christianity, he applauds or at least offers some approval ratings for Christianity because he says it will come clean and abolish itself to the extent that it is absolutely equipped with testing, with a testing drive so that Christianity tests itself, has the kind of probity to test itself into obsolescence. Thus spake Nietzsche. Well, our time is almost up as I'm testing out here. And I wanted to ask what kind of a test site poetry might be for a nation and how it reconstitutes, repairs, and deconstitutes all sorts of mystifications that accrue to sheerly political uh, aspiration that in itself is rhetorically uh, dependent which is um, and poetically pitched, which is why probably one many of the many overdetermined reasons that Plato had to kick poets out uh, because of the precarity that poeticity offers to a nation. Poeticity as a critique that doesn't need to assign itself to referential stability or authority, nor does it need to, as Nietzsche says, bow to its lordship and, and offer the results of the day, the yield of its insight. Poetry witnesses something that other discursive form formalities or formations can't attest to. They test differently or they refrain from testing. They don't easily shatter. And there's a kind of idealization of poetry as it is also de-idealized. In that way, America is poetry. Let's remember that in the most uh, recent inauguration, the, the star, moment, the stellar moment in a Nietzschean sense, sirened up when 
the poetess spoke. This surprised everyone. She kind of was rousing and brought poetry to the podium of a very um, serious destruction that, that had been visited upon country by all sorts of um, depravity that I'll just quickly abbreviate and classify under the name of Trump or Trumpf, the German origin. So let me, for the moment, leave our considerations with the American promise, its poetic purchase, its um, failure to host and house the nightingale, the rossignol, that uh, is a kind of harbinger of poetic acts and poetic uh, demystifications, a certain kind of promise that might be rooted in German in the fair, the V-E-R, the versprechen, the, the um, ironic and reciprocal warps of promise that in German already indicate as Hamacher and Heidegger and also Derrida have pointed out, versprechen. So that means to misspeak. There's something about misspeaking that inhabits the promise that performatively frazzles and breaks apart. You can't necessarily keep a promise to the extent that only the future will allow it to fulfill itself. So at the moment of giving and saying and donating and insisting on the promise, you've already kind of fallen short of its rhetorical uh, velocities and expectational horizon. So I will continue this um, attempt to set foot on the groundless and ungrounded American soil from which I'm reporting for duty and trying to consider how the United States became or always was a place of contamination, which don't forget in other settings and milieu can be affirmed. Contamination meaning a certain kind of uh, openness and strength to host parasites, but to also um, give way to all sorts of improbable mutations and blendings and, and splendid um, new ways of tracing existence when things become unrecognizable and fused and recombinated and so on and so forth. I've said that too quickly, um, but it's also not news to know that uh, a deconstructive worker will look for places where contamination is allegedly or apparently repealed with passion and repressed and also where it takes hold in ways that are 
altogether um, imprevisible or unpredictable and deprogramming in a good way. Of course, now we're going through the uh, bad breast tunnels of severe contamination that is being um, somehow managed possibly after a, um, an overload of mismanagement. So all this is something that I want to consider with you. Also the tropes coming out of the pandemic that um, make us rethink our relation to being, to existence, to one another. In the meantime, I wish you health and strength, defiance and pushback on those things that corset you in anxiety. Take care and see you next week. Bye.